You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. So what I'd like to do is invite up Kate, and she'll be reading our scripture for a day. It'll be Exodus 5, 21 to 6, 5. And they said to them, The Lord, look on you and judge. Because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to the people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Thank you. As the word of the Lord. The holiday season tends to come with a lot of expectations. We just celebrated Christmas, and though as believers we would say Christmas is about receiving the greatest gift of all time and being able to proclaim that and give to others, we are also excited about getting gifts as well. If you know anything about the Thomas household, one of the famous traditions in our household is that on Christmas Day, my mother tends to uh, pretend that Santa came to town and gave her a gift in which she really just got herself. And so Christmas season comes with expectation. Then we also have the coming of the new year where we are hoping that we will be able to transform ourselves. We'll be able to better ourselves a little bit in the coming year. And one thing I want to state is that we tend to have misplaced expectations on Christmas and also the new year. And a definition of misplaced expectation is this. The anticipation of a future event in which the desired outcome does not occur. I think that's with both Christmas and the upcoming new year. With Christmas, we can receive a gift and believe that we're going to get the gift that we really wanted. And then when we open it up, it is not what we desired. And even with the upcoming new year, we all make our New Year's resolutions. We say, we're going to go to the gym. We're going to get jacked. And then what happens is two months in, we realize it takes a little bit longer to get jacked than we thought. And we're not looking the way we thought we would look at this point. We have misplaced expectations during the holiday season. This should be a joyous time, but it can also be a little bit disappointing. I think we tend to do this with God a lot of times. 
We have misplaced expectations with God that he should be working in a manner of time in which we desire. We want him to work instantly. We want him to work right now. And so as we journey through uh, this scripture for today, Exodus 5.21 to 6.5, we're going to see the misplaced expectations of the Israelites and how that even applies to us. We'll see that God's plan of redemption is not created in an instant, but it's marinated over a long period of time. It's not always created in an instant, but it's marinated over a long period of time. And just to be clear, God can do things in an instant. I'm not saying that he can't. But many times our expectation is that he should always do things right in that moment when God he likes to take the long, long way a lot of time. He likes to marinate and take his time. And so before we dive into Exodus 5.21, we need to kind of provide some context. And so we're going to go towards the end of chapter 4 and into 5, 1 through 20. And so as we're at the end of chapter 4, we see Moses and his brother Aaron coming to the Israelites. And at this point, they're coming to the Israelites to tell them of some really good news. So the Israelites at this point have been in enslavement in Egypt for 400 years. They have been groaning. They have been moaning. They have been crying out to the Lord, wondering, why is he not picking up the phone? We're calling you. We don't get any type of answer. And so they now hear from Moses and Aaron The Lord has actually heard you. He says this in Exodus 4.31, that the Lord had seen their affliction. So he had heard their groanings. He had heard their mournings. He had heard their cries. And now the Lord has said through Moses and Aaron, you guys are going to be set free. You guys are going to be set free. I don't know about you, but if 400 years of enslavement, I would be excited, ecstatic. Finally, after time and time again, my people have been groaning and hoping for some sort of relief. And now it's come. Good news has finally come. And the Lord, through Moses and Aaron, is going to set us free. And it's going to happen, of course, right away, right? Well, That's not necessarily the case. I don't think Pharaoh got the point. I don't think Pharaoh got the message because as we see in uh, chapter 5, 5 through 9, Pharaoh doesn't only decide not to upon the meeting with Moses and Aaron to not free the Israelites, but he makes life a lot worse. He makes life 10 times worse. Check out 5 through 9. Let me read it out for us. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many. And you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen. You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks. As in the past, let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle." Therefore, they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. 
I mean, that's heavy. And if you're the Israelites at this point, you hear that this is what Moses and Haran have heard from Pharaoh, and that's a blow. Because they're expecting to be let go right away in an instant. And it's that old additive. Things can only get better. Things can't get any worse. And that's the implication that your life has gotten so bad that the situation is so dire that this is the worst it could get. It's not even a matter of you need to do this, this, this in order to make your life better. It's actually a matter of your life has no choice but to get better because this is the worst it could get. So then you have the Israelites who believe, yo, this is the worst it could get. We've been enslaved for 400 years. What else could actually happen? How could it get worse? And yet it did. Pharaoh makes things worse, not only by not freeing them instantly, but he also says, I'm going to make you work even harder. I'm going to withhold supplies in order to say you have to work even harder to do the job that I've already set out for you. So at this point, the Israelites really have an expectation that they believe the Lord should set them free instantly. But actually, things got worse. That when Aaron and Moses stepped on the scene, things actually got worse. They can't fathom that God wouldn't work instantly, but that he takes the long way. So this brings us to Exodus 5, 21 through 23. And this begs our question, what tends to be our response when our expectations aren't met right away? What tends to be our response when God doesn't meet our expectations right away? Well, 5, 21, and 23 give us a good answer to that or insight into that. So 21, and they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge you because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants. And you have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord. Why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. And you have not delivered your people at all. I mean, again, this is, this is where we see the Israelites and even Moses, they played the a game that is as old as time itself. It's a game that we play with one another that Adam and Eve played. It's the blame game, or you can even say the blame train. You continually blame someone else for your situation. You continually blame everyone else for the situation that you're currently in. So we first see this with the Israelites as they are blaming Moses and Aaron. They say this, you have made, and this is in verse 21, you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and you have put a sword in their hands to kill us. I mean, that's hurtful. Like if someone said that to me and I had been trying to help them, I'd be like, well, well, dag, I, I I should have never done anything in the first place. And so they really believe that their situation is worse than it was, and it is. But then we get to Moses' response. We have the Israelites who have blamed Moses and Aaron and believe that Moses and Aaron have told them lies, that there is no way that God would do this to them, would make things worse. But then we get to Moses in 22 and 23. 
And instead of Moses telling the Israelites, hey, God has already told me, you know, uh, a while ago, and particularly chapter 4, 21 to 23, that he wasn't going to let us go right away. That he was going to harden Pharaoh's heart. He had told me this, that there was going to be a process. Instead of him helping them to understand that, to calming them down and saying that this is a journey, he goes to God and blames God. He says, oh, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? Why did you do this? So we have the Israelites who have blamed Moses and Aaron. Then we have Moses who has now blamed God. It's the blame game, or you could say again, the blame train. And both parties would hope that God would fix things instantly, that God would fix things right away, but that is not the case here. And so this helps us to see our response and the Israelites' response to God a lot of times when our expectations are not met. We want God's timing to be more like a TV dinner rather than a marinated steak. We want it to be more like a TV dinner rather than a marinated steak. And, you know, a TV dinner tends to only take three to five minutes to cook, to put in that microwave, and then you're eating right in front of the TV. And so we want God to work in this way. We want God to work instantly. You know, you, we may have debt that needs to be paid off. He needs to pay it off instantly. We may have a marriage that is suffering, that is struggling. We want it to be fixed instantly. For me personally, it was a, a four to five year struggle with lust. And I felt the pain and the struggle and the constant disappointment of not feeling free, of feeling like there was no hope. And I want it done instantly. I want it taken care of. I don't want to have to go through a process or a journey. And seeking out freedom isn't a bad thing. The Israelites and even us wanting to be free, that's a good thing. We should all want to be free. But the reality is God doesn't always work in this way. Now, he does. I mean, we see this even with theology. We see it in a term called justification. That when based on the fact that we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, we are declared righteous and innocent before God who is our judge. We see that in that theological term, justification, that that happens instantly. But that's not always how the Lord works. We also see that he can work like a marinated steak. And as, you know, people who tend to cook meat, I do not, but I've heard Jason, uh, the worship leader, talk about how the way he allows for the steak to marinate and take time for the spices and the juices just to somehow fill up so that when the finished product comes out, it tastes great. The texture is great. You can cut through it easily. God tends to take his time, like a marinated steak. He wants things to happen in a long period of time because we are people that need to be taken on a journey to see how great he is. We see this in another theological term called sanctification. Sanctification, where God is transforming us. He's conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but for me in my life, that's going to take a while. I mean, ask my wife. I'm messed up. And so for us, 
We take a while in order to be conformed to the image of Christ because Christ was holy, perfect, and righteous. And so God does take the long way. God does take the long way. And so for us and the Israelites, we tend to have misplaced expectations on God because we want things to happen instantly. But God likes to have things marinate over a long period of, of time. So the question now becomes, how should we respond when our expectations are not met? How should we respond? This brings us to uh, chapter 6, Exodus 6, 1 through 5. 6 says this, But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. So I don't know if many of you are aware, if you live in Baltimore, you should be aware, the Ravens are balling this year. And I'm not, I'm not talking like, you know, you know, there are times when they're balling, it's like they're winning games. I, no, they are slaughtering people. It, it almost feels like varsity versus JV at this point. I mean, it feels like, you know, I'm, I'm going to say this, Lamar Jackson is like black Superman. Like if he just took off and, and flew one play, I'd be like, I, I knew it. I knew he could do it. It's not even a big deal. So we have the Ravens who are balling this year. But one thing as I've been, you know, watching the Ravens, and just to let you guys know, since I moved here the last couple of weeks, I have become a bandwagon Ravens fan. I'm a Fairweather fan. Like they start losing, I'm out. No shame. But right now I'm bandwagon. I'm, I'm on it. I'm on the train. I live here. But something as I've been looking at the games, I've been realizing that there's an important stat. And I didn't realize this before because I've always been under the impression offenses should score quickly and efficiently. Go for the touchdown every time. But there's a huge stat that I didn't know about until uh, a couple weeks ago, which is called time of possession. Time of possession. And pretty much what that means is it's the time in which the team is on the field for offense or has the ball. And so for many of us, we'll say, let's go ahead and score quickly and efficiently. But for coaches, they want to have the ball for as long as possible because it helps them and gives them a better chance to win. And so even for us, we want to sometimes say, go quick, instantly. But the coaches who are the experts understand it takes time. They want to go the long road. And so just as we should trust in the coaches because they are the experts and they understand that sustained success is better than instant gratification, we should trust in God the same way. He is the expert in the plan of redemption. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's been doing since eternity past. We see this particularly in verse 2 where he says, I am the Lord. All he says is, I am the Lord. So when he says, I am, when he says Yahweh, which are synonymous terms, we see that he is saying that he has been the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
And not only just the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but he is also the God who has been fulfilling his promises. He's a God who has been with the Israelites. He is a God who created the heavens and the earth, and his promises never return void. And so we see this particularly in verse 4 where he says, I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. And so what God is referring to is a passage in Genesis 15, 12 through 18, where God promises Abraham long before the, the Israelites ever touched down in Egypt that he would deliver them from their 400 year of enslavement. But then also he also says that he will lead them to the promised land. God promises this, and then we are seeing that now it's coming to fruition. That now God, who promised this long ago, is going to make sure that it comes to pass. That his promises never return void. His promises are never empty. And we see this particularly in the person at work of Jesus Christ. And so many times, if you're like me, we think that God does not hear me. That we think that God is not with you. That God doesn't care about me. I've been crying and groaning to God for so long, and he is not picking up the phone. So verse 5. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. He heard the groaning of the people of Israel. They didn't think he heard them, but he was hearing them. They didn't think he was with them, but he was with them the entire time. And that's a lesson for us that even as we are in our situation that isn't favorable, As we are crying to God, he does hear. He may not be taking care of things instantly, but he's still working. He has a plan. And he is the expert of redemption plans. He takes his sweet time. And so we see this in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he is the fulfillment, the manifestation of God's redemption plan. That he came, lived a totally perfect life, died the most excruciating death where he took on your shame, when he took on my sins, when he took on our pain in order so that we would not only be redeemed but free. And not just free to go to a promised land like a physical land, but free to be in relationship, eternal communion with God the Father. God allowed that to marinate. He took the long way in order so that we could see this beautiful picture of the gospel. I love how a Christian rapper named Chris Jones in his uh, song called The Passover says it. It says this, God was working in the background to reveal his plan. Remember, this was foretold to Abraham. Slavery, redemption, all so we could praise the Lamb. God's redemption plan was ultimately so that we could praise and see the beautiful picture that Jesus Christ is the culmination of a promise fulfilled. So as we close, let us prepare our hearts for communion.
That as we come to the table, as we take the bread and dip it into the cup and then we walk up either aisle, we can remember that we can trust God to fulfill his promises. We can trust God to know that he fulfilled his promise through Jesus Christ. And enables us to see that each and every day that he will come through for us. He may not do it in an instant. He can. But he will always do it in the long way. And, of course, he can. And so I just want us to remember that. And so as we take communion today, be thinking of that, that he will fulfill his promises. Let us pray. Father, we are in awe of your sovereignty. We are in awe that you are the I am, Yahweh, the God who fulfills his promises, the God who continually shows us grace upon grace, who justified us by sending his son in order to die on the cross for our sins, and we are counted righteous because of what he has done. And you are continually sanctifying us to be more like him, which takes time. And so, Father, I truly do pray, would we be willing just to trust that you are the expert in redemption plans? So I just pray all this in your most glorious name. Amen.